I guess it's like a series now. But we've been talking about the upper room, and this is the last in that series. Uh, ne- next Sunday, I'm going to talk about Palm Sunday. The next Sunday will be Easter. Uh, so uh, I have the Easter message, which uh, you know we talked about. It's titled, Long Ago in a Galilee Far, Far Away. So just, just tell all your unsaved friends that pastor's preaching about Star Wars. You've got to connect. You've got to connect. So let them, let them know. It'll, it'll be fun, but um, we're also believing for souls. I'm going to believe God can save people on Easter. <laughs> Amen. So this is the last one in that series, so I want to summarize some stuff and go through some things. So I just want to talk to you from my heart, and uh, hopefully this won't be too scattergun, but any, anymore it seems like the Lord just keeps breaking in on what we try to do, and he's leading us. And uh, it's, 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 our, it's our goal. It's our desire. We feel led of the Lord to transition this church into a house of prayer. We're not even sure what that looks like. We certainly didn't know a year ago. But God's beginning to show us, and already there are, there are like six, six prayer meetings going on uh, in, in the church every week, Monday night, Tuesday night. Uh, I'm not counting Wednesday night, but on Wednesday night we go deep. You need to come on Wednesday night. It's growing. And listen, if you want to know what's right on the cutting edge, what God's talking to me about right now, you need to come on Wednesday night. Because that's what we talk about. We just share. We just go back and forth. And, uh, and sometimes I use them as guinea pigs. So, hey, what do you all think about this? And we just share it. So you need to come on Wednesday night. There's, um, there, then there's a prayer meeting on uh, Friday. Where am I? Is it Friday night? Saturday night. Saturday. No Thursday or Friday. There's none Thursday. I'm so confused. But definitely Saturday night. And then Sunday night, upper room. I don't know. Count them. I think that's six. Whatever. <laughs> Y'all aren't praying for me. They prayed clarity over me, and I'm, I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it. No clarity. <laughs> okay, don't get ahead of me up there. Okay. And here's, here's one thing, and I can't get into this because it's one of my big announcements for April 22nd, but we're beginning to make connection with there are churches all over Ohio that are called houses of prayer, and we're starting. God's just making connections, and I, I won't say anything more about that because i got, I got to wait till the 22nd. But God is making all these connections, and I talked to one of, a, one of the leaders in, in all this movement the other day, and here's what he told me. I, I, I told him that God was transitioning our church, and he said, you know what? All, and there's, there are dozens and dozens of these houses of prayer all over Ohio. He said, every one of them is a new church plant. He said, you're the only one that I've heard of that is an existing church that's transitioning to a house of prayer. The only one. What? Now, if God had told me that a year ago, I really would have given up. I was like, oh. Hey, it's, it's not easy to take a big old church like this and turn it. In fact, it, it doesn't turn like this. It turns like, it's like a big old cruise ship. It takes a while to turn those babies. We're not a, we're not a speedboat. So God's moving. Aren't you glad God's moving? And I, and I know some of you have no idea what I'm talking about yet. It hasn't reached you yet. You're still in your own thing. But God, God is showing us that we need to become or certainly have an upper room that makes all the difference church that prays and covers and prophesies and makes all the difference to everyone else. And I believe because we are becoming a house of prayer, we're going to see signs and wonders. 
We're going to see amazing healings. We're going to see who knows what we'll see. But, but, as, but my main thing is I want to see Jesus, his appearing. And when the Bible talks about his appearing, it's not always talking about the second coming. He said we're seated with him in heavenly places now. Oh, there's a whole bunch there I want to preach. Maybe I'll talk about that Wednesday night, so you've got to come back. Amen. God's showing us all kinds of things that are happening. And so uh, one of the things the Lord has shown me is that there are about seven upper rooms in Scripture. So if you, this might be more teaching than preaching. Can you handle it? Not bad, not bad. So we're going through these real quick. As some of these we've talked about before. Some of these we talked about on Wednesday night. But I want to talk about seven different upper rooms. And you say, Pastor, why? why? Because that's where we're going. That's what this thing looks like. So the first upper room, really quick, is, is the upper room in Noah's Ark. There were three decks on the ark. You got the lower deck where all the animals were. Oh, <laughs> well, it's the truth. I don't know any other way to say it. <laughs> and then you had the second deck, and on the second deck was all the provisions, all the food, all the water, everything that they would need to take care of what was in the in the lower deck. So God has most of us on that lower deck, and then he puts people in leadership uh, that have resources to bless you and serve you. You see the ark. But then you have that third deck where Noah's family was. They got their own deck. And that was the only deck that had a window in it. So there's that upper room, and in the upper room is where we're going to catch the vision. It's that upper room where we're going to be able to see where God's taking us. It's where you steer the boat. It's, it's where everything, where, where God just shows the leadership uh, that, that this is what I'm going to do today. This is what I'm going to do tomorrow, next year. It's the place of vision. It's the place of looking out. So God is calling some of you to that upper room. Uh, the Bible calls you seers. That's a good name. Seers. What's a seer? Someone who sees. Not hard. Not hard. Number two. Number two. The second one the Lord showed me is the tabernacle. And that's not piled one on top of the other, but you got three rooms. You got, so, so you see the thing, it's divided, and you see that building in there, right? See the building? And inside the little building, it's divided in half. It's uh, 30 foot by 15 foot, so there's two rooms in there. But in the outer court, you got two pieces of furniture. You've got the You've got the, uh, the place where they sacrifice the animals, and then you have the place where the laver, where the priest would wash their hands and feet before they went into the holy place. That outer court is the place of real ministry. It's where people's lives are changed. It's the cross, and the cross is bloody. Listen, if you're, if you're killing dozens and dozens of animals every day, how many believe that was a bloody place? How many believe there was blood on the clothes of the priests? How many believe it was a smelly place? Can I just take you in there? This is nasty stuff. Well, hello. Ministry's not as cool as you think it is. I always laugh at these people and say, I just can't wait to start pastoring a church. Neither can I. It's not so glorious. It's a hard, sweaty place. It's hot during the day and cold at night. You're out in the rain. You're out in the elements. There's no roof over that. It's a windy, you know, sand blowing in your face. It's a noisy place with the Oh, I want to preach. Can you stay three hours? Why is just the front row saying that? I, 
<laughs> you know, most shirts have a hard time getting people in the front row. These guys fight over the front rows. Aren't they? <laughs> it's a noisy, smelly, bloody, exposed to the... Uh, it's a place where you're exposed. Listen, priests in the Old Testament... I mean, had to go to butcher. I don't know where this message is going. Are y'all praying for me? Priests in the Old Testament had to go to butcher school. I'm so glad I'm a priest in the New Testament. Because you don't just get in there with a dull axe and start hacking. In fact, that's the way some people pastor. Just hack away. Amen? How many know butcher? to be a butcher is an art? My brother is a butcher. He's been a butcher for like 40 years or more. So I sent him a text the other day, and I said, tell me a couple things that you need to know about butchering. I figured he'd send a whole bunch of stuff. He just sent two. He sent two. Number one, always know where your fingers are. Most butchers, most, most, hello, Facebook. Well, some of them, too. I don't, most, most, a lot of butchers only got eight or nine fingers. You know what I'm saying? He says when you're cutting Always be aware, because listen, when you're you're in the trenches ministering to people that are hurting, look out, you're probably going to get hurt. They're going to drag you into that mess. It's not easy being in the trenches with people that are hurting, people that need salvation, people that, man, their past is bad, their present is bad. There's no hope for the future. They're weeping. They're crying. They're bleeding. They're hurt. They've been beat up in life. Amen. Amen. You try to help them, and they take two steps forward and one backward. It's a constant thing. It ain't easy being in the ministry. I just, I, oh, I can see the resignation letters now. It's not so glorious. It's a bloody place. Be careful and always know where your fingers are. And the second thing he told me is, he said, you always need to know how to do your cuts. You always need to know how much to trim off and how much not. Because if you cut the wrong thing, it's going to affect your profits. There's parts that need to be cut off. And there's parts that you need to leave alone. Boy, that's good advice for ministry. You need to know when to hold them and when to fold them. <laughs> you need to know when to go to Jesus and when to shut up. You need to know when to give advice and when to say, go to Jesus. I don't know. <laughs> you need to know when to delegate. I don't know. It's above my pay grade. <laughs> man. You need to know when to send them to pastor, right? And I know when to send them to the psychologist. Amen. <laughs> or or to cast out demons, whatever it is. So it's, it's a place where we, there, being a ministry, there's some skills involved. Every piece of meat is different. It has sinews and all kinds of ways of cutting it. You've got to cut with the grain, not against the grain. And it's all kinds of things. And how about this one? Always keep your knife sharp. I'm just weary of pastors, and I deal with them all the time, who have stopped learning. They never read. They never, they say, I just got my Bible. Well, Bless your little heart, but God speaks in many ways. We never stop learning. We never stop praying. We never. We gotta keep your axe sharp. Keep your knife sharp, because if you don't, you don't cut the meat. You crush the meat. Oh, this is too deep. Y'all, y'all, y'all didn't come for this. Y'all didn't come for this. That's just the outer court. Can you get this picture? You're in the wind and the storm and the rain and the blood and the crowds and the noise and the stench. If we have a blow-up of that, that's Solomon's temple, by the way. 
But if we have a blow-up of that tent once again, maybe a close-up, not sure what we have. But when you go into the holy place, wow, there it is uncovered, so you see it. You, you, watch, watch this. You, you take your hand and you move that veil, that curtain, and you step into the holy place. Shut the curtain. No crowds anymore. It's just you and Jesus. Nothing wrong with the crowd, but how many know you got to come? How many times did Jesus come away? If you don't come away, you'll come apart. And you go in there and you smell fresh bread on your right. Oh, I shouldn't preach like that so close to noon. And on your left, the oil is burning. We, we, we know about the, the candelabras, but uh, the candlesticks, but they weren't can, wax candles. They were, uh, there were uh, uh, pipes and so forth, and oil, they were oil fed. So you got the burning of the oil for light. It's the only source of light in there. You know, the light switches don't work. It's just that. And straight ahead, right there it is, is the altar of incense. It's right there. That's an exact, well, almost exact model of it as far as dimensions. And on that, so it smelled a certain way. So you had, and there's a certain recipe you had to use. And, and so it smelled a certain way. So you had fresh bread, burning oil, incense, in that little 15 by 15 foot room and you walk in there and it's not raining on you anymore and the sun's not beating on you anymore and there's no animal noise and there's no blood and you just because you just washed your hands at, oh my god you washed your hands and feet at the labor and you go in clean you know listen when you're ministering to people you have to know how to get away you, you need to know that you're there for them but you'll never you'll never help them if you don't learn how to get away and get alone with God. Sometimes you just got to wash your hands of all the stuff. Come on, come on, come on. At the end of the day, you got to just wash your feet, wash your hands, and say, God, all the mess I picked up, I drop right now. I drop it in the name of Jesus, and I come into the holy place. But there's one more room. There's the holy of holies. And there's another there behind that, as, as if you see that wall back there is, is a curtain, and, and there's that altar of incense blocking, it's right in, right in the way. So you just move that curtain once a year, only once a year. Once a year, you move that curtain. You see, that's Solomon's temple, the huge, the huge curtain there. That's the one that split from the top to the bottom when Jesus died. Why did God, why did he split it? Because now it's not one man once a year, but it's every man every day. <laughs> you go into the holy, talk about an upper room. That's the upper room I'm talking about. Amen. He made a way of access. Come boldly before the throne of grace. It's the place of presence. It's the place of authority. Holy of holies. And there's no man-made light in there at all. If God doesn't shine, you're in the dark. Oh, God. Oh, that's a scary place, but what a wonderful place to be where you realize you will have no light if God doesn't shine. You'll not make it. You'll not survive. God doesn't show up. Ever been there? Ever been there? Ever been there? My God, I feel him in this place. Ever been to that place where you have no hope but him? The upper room. The upper room. Who's still with me? Who's still with me? Go a little farther in the Old Testament. You know, you remember this one. There's Elijah and the widow woman, right? She gave him his her last meal. Some of you aren't willing to get a little while ago dollar, much less your last one. Oh, you were shouting a little while ago. <laughs> Give me your last meal. She gives it to him. Her son dies, right? Long, long story short. You know, most of the time when people say long story short, it's already been too long. 
<laughs> Next time someone says that, just say, too late. <laughs> I'm sorry. She has her dead son in her arm. Church, we need to take dead promises, futures that have never materialized, blessings that have never come, deadness in our lives, things that we've not yet gotten victory over. And we, my God, hallelujah, we need to just put that dead son, that dead promise in our arms and This is why we need an upper room. She gives it to Elijah who climbs the stairs to the upper room. We need an upper room. There are things that, like the the disciples said one time, Jesus, we couldn't cast those devils out. And Jesus said, some things don't come out unless unless there's prayer and fasting. We need an upper room. Not, listen, not. Listen, she stayed downstairs. She represents the church. Not everyone is going to the upper room. We understand. Not everyone's called to intense kind of prayer life. But listen, we're all called to be with him. She gives him to Elijah. Elijah puts him in his arms and walks up the steps. Oh, my God, I see it in my spirit. Lays him on the bed, raises him from the dead. Oh, I want an upper room that knows how to raise things from the dead. Dead promises all. Oh, hallelujah. I want an upper room who knows how to, how, how to pray for healing when the doctors give up. Amen. I want an upper room that can give answers to people's questions when no one else has an answer. Ah, God. I want an upper room that knows how to cast devils out when no no one else knows how to cast a devil out. The upper room. The upper room. The boy comes back to life. You should be on the next, uh, next uh, thing there. So, uh, so it, it, listen, the upper room is a place of reproduction, new birth, and increase. The fourth one is Elisha, his spiritual son. And this woman is not a poor, destitute widow. This woman is a wealthy woman. She's now married. See, the church kind of transitioned there from poor widow and her last meal to a wealthy woman who's well off. That's the church I want to get to. One of these days, if I don't get an amen, I'm just going to start walking around looking for one. Like an auction. Hey, can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? Amen, 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 amen. Jesus, don't let the word fall. Get an amen. This woman, this, watch this now. This is where you need to get to. This woman sees Elijah, the man of God, the upper room guy, come by, and so she, she offers him a, a meal as he passed by. That is an act of hospitality. And then she says, you know what? Every time he comes by, I'm going to offer him a meal. That's the habit of hospitality. Some of us do hospitality occasionally, some are in the habit. But then she said, you know what? Just like a preacher, he started coming by a lot because he knew there was a free meal there. So she said, you know what? Let, let's, go, let's go a step farther. Let's create him a, a place to rest upstairs where he can get a meal and just spend the night. How many want Jesus to start spending the night? See, an upper room is a place of not visitation but habitation where he had, but see, you have to make room for that. That doesn't just happen in your life. God's not going to habitually bless and live with you, amen, until you make room for that. If you don't have time in your schedule, if you don't have time in your finances, if you don't have time in your abilities, if you just don't make time for that, make room for that, it'll never happen. 
That's, why, that's one reason you need to do that 15 minutes every morning. Make room for him. Make an upper room, an upper room in your home. Say amen. Number five. You know I've only got seven, so hang on. Number five. The Last Supper is up there in the upper room. It's actually the same room they believe. Listen, it's the same room where the Holy Ghost fell. Same upper room. But now it's the Last Supper. The Last Supper. The Last Supper. That sounds ominous. <laughs> the Last Supper before the crucifixion. Oh, God gave me a word the other day that you, you really can't celebrate now. You, <laughs> you really can't celebrate Easter until you embrace the crucifixion. Until you die, there's nothing to resurrect. Oh, that's too deep. That's too deep. I told you it was too deep. They would help us. I'm going to hit it. How about if I hit it strong next Sunday? Let's look at some scripture. Mark chapter 14. If I don't, throw, if I don't actually put scriptures up there, you'll think I'm not preaching. And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city. This is what you know, really happens next Sunday. And a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Follow the water. Wherever he goes in, uh, say to the master of the house, the teacher, capital T, says, where is the guest room, the upper room, in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room. It's furnished and prepared. Oh, oh, oh that'll preach. Uh, there make ready for us. John chapter 13 talks about this. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash, because that's what they did in the upper room. The upper room is a place where we wash one another's feet. Whether we physically do it or not, it's the spiritual aspect of it. Because, listen, I don't care how holy you are, your feet touch the ground when you walk. I know some of you walk on water. You're so blessed. But for the rest of us humans, wherever you walk, the bottoms, the tops of your shoes, every dirt, pick it up. And remember where they lived in the Old Testament. Remember donkeys and animals. Do I need to go further? Those roads were pretty nasty. Even when that wasn't there, the dirt's there. It's nasty. That's why it was a custom back then that if anyone was invited in your house, you wash their feet. We don't need to do that now, but there's other things we need to do when people come in the house. We need to offer hospitality. We need to offer to wash the dust of the world up. Oh, preach. We need, listen, uh, this is what our greeters do, but you're, how many know you're all called to greet? We all need to just find people that need Jesus and just say, oh, well, don't actually say I'm going to wash your feet. Don't freak them out. But when you love on people, you're washing the dirt of this life of this week off of their feet. Is there another verse there? Uh, for I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. How many know Jesus is the ultimate act of hospitality? Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who, who is sent greater than he who sent him. One more verse. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And that word, that word blessed, in the Greek, actually means beyond blessed, beyond blessed. It means to be extremely blessed and favored. It means to have joy overflowing in your life when you do these things. I like what Peter said about hospitality. He said, do hospitality without grumbling. That's a good refrigerator scripture right there. Because we begin to grumble and complain when 
we're asked to do this and asked to bake some bread or asked to go visit the sick or whatever the hospitality is, he said, you need to do it with grace. Happy are you. You remember Peter, remember Peter said, Lord, you're not washing my feet. No, no way. <laughs> and G- how many know Jesus can be blunt? <clears throat> I- I'm, not sh- I'm, not sure, I'm not sure people would come to the church of Jesus. I don't. He said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. Peter's like, <laughs> Peter's like, not only my feet. <laughs> I'm ready for a nesty plunge, just at everything. Wash my head. And you know what Jesus said? This interest. Jesus said, you don't have need of being washed except your feet. Listen, if you're saved, you don't need another baptism. But if you're saved, your feet still need washing every day. I know some of you haven't sinned in 20 years, but I just thought I'd throw it out there. And, and the Bible says wash one another's feet. That means we're forgiving each other. We're putting up with each other. We're giving space to each other. We're being good to By the way, Jesus did say love your enemy. Some of you don't know how to love your uh, anyway. I, at least love your fellow church member. Love your enemy. And that's not lip service. That means actually doing it. I'm out of time. How many want me to finish? <laughs> Teresa has all day. I'll be preaching at 3, and she'll be the only one in here. She'll be, like one man said, Preacher, you take all the time you want, but I'm leaving at noon. <laughs> real quick. The other two are real quick, sort of. Anyway, the fifth, the, the sixth one is the day of Pentecost. I don't need to preach there, do I? It's the day of Pentecost. It's that upper room. They think, they don't know, but they think this was the actual upper room where 120 or part of it, you know, 120 got together and the power and the fire of God. How many want the fire of God to come once again and fall on this place? I'm going to tell you what I believe. In the Old Testament, there was one, say one, there was one pillar of fire. But in the, in the upper room, there was 120 little fires on their head. I believe God just took that big old pillar of fire and broke it in 120 pieces and it landed on each one of them and how did it land on him because he walked in the room when he walks into the room amen it lights you up god send the holy ghost one more time and set your church on fire that fire is not just for the 120. I believe as each one, as each one uh, began to go home to glory, they took their little fire and divided it into everyone that they saved and gave it to them. And that fire has been distributed 2,000 years later. We still have the fire of Pentecost on the altars of on the altars of the church. Somebody, somebody, come on and praise them in this place. Oh, you can do better than that. How many want to see the fire? God, I had to put that glass down. It it wouldn't have been pretty. The fire on that day was power to witness. Preacher, I can't get up in front of people. I can't testify. I can't witness. What do you have the holy? Why are you speaking in tongues? Listen, you know what tongues originally, what it was really for? It was to give you a language that everybody could understand. On the day of Pentecost, every nationality understood this message. He spoke in Hebrew, and they heard it in whatever language. He said, well, there's not many. Oh, there's, listen, it's not about different languages. Every time I get up to preach, not all of you understand what I'm. When you start checking out, you know what that means? I'm speaking a different language. I'm not speaking your language, apparently. That's why you check out. Lord, that word wasn't received. I don't know. Let me try the other hand. 
You better come, 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 come to the piano or I just will never find a place to land. Here's, here's the last one. Here's the last one. Listen, the upper room there is power for the harvest. How many want a harvest? How many are tired of just coming to church and being blessed? I mean, that's great. But how many are ready for the harvest? It might mean somebody might be sitting in your seat next Sunday. Oh, I feel him in this house. God, what are you up to? Seventh one is in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, that's Sunday, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. I'm just a few minutes late. Paul was long-winded. Midnight. How many would stay? Teresa, would you stay till midnight? Give me some food. <laughs> Let me have a nap somewhere. I like this. Verse 8. I had never seen this before. Never saw this before. There were many lamps in the upper room. Why even mention that? You know why he's mentioning that? You know, they didn't have electricity back then. It's, it's hard to do ministry in the dark. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's hard to do ministry in dark places. But he said in the upper room, in the place of prayer, there are many lights lit. Oh, that people would just drive by. I, I spoke to someone this morning. I said, how did you find us? He said, I just drove by. I felt led to come in here. There are many lights in the upper room. There are many lights. If you're a prayer warrior, you're a light city set on a hill. It's good to be a place, a blessing station, but I want to be a lighthouse. There were many lights. In other words, people are, see, people back then, when it got dark, they went to bed. And when it got light, they got up. There were, it's dark. But the writer, Luke, wants us to know in the book of Acts that even though the hour was late, the lights were on. And, oh, God, we're getting to that midnight hour. We're getting to that midnight hour. It's getting late, my friends. It's getting dark in this world. It's time to turn some lights on. We need an upper room, somebody. Verse 9, and in a window, there's a window in the third floor, sat a certain young man. Named Eutychus, or Eutychus, or you figure it out, <laughs> who was sinking, anybody sinking? Who was sinking into a, listen, Bible says, don't be weary in well-doing. Upper room people, prayer's not easy. It'll wear you out. <laughs> and you're sitting in the window. You're a watchman on the wall. <laughs> but it's tiring work. I know what it is being in the Navy. I know what it is to do that 12 to 4 watch. Sleep a little before, sleep a little after, but, oh, that's a rough watch. And there you are in the window. You're the watchman falling asleep. God, I'm so tired. Anybody ever get tired? God, I'm so tired. He was sinking into a deep sleep, and then he was overcome. God, help us. The church today is overcome by sleep. Y'all didn't get that. And as Paul continued speaking, Paul's the kind of preacher who didn't care who responded to the message. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Oh, God, help us. The church today needs to be taken up, but I'm afraid they're going to be taken up dead.